0: Our reading this morning is from the book of Acts, and it's 109.2 in the Pew Bibles. 109.2 in the Pew Bibles, the book of Acts, chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus... I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command... Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait, for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times and dates the Father has set by his own authority, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken away from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven.
1: Shall we pray together? Father, may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of our heart be acceptable to you. You are our redeemer, you are our rock, and there is none like you. Have your way in this place, Father. In the name of Christ, our Savior, and by your Spirit, we pray. Amen. Anybody too hot? Be honest. Right. If at any point you need to open those doors, open the doors. If you need a glass of water, there's water through there. Just Actually, if you need a water at any point, just make it known, and someone here will go in there and get it and bring it back. Uh, It wouldn't be the first time that somebody's fainted with being too warm, and by the power of the Holy Spirit as well. But um, anyway... (laughs) My name is David. I'm the pastor here. Welcome, Matthew, and all the brood. And uh, I remember this pastor when he was a young boy. And uh, it's good. Uh, We're way back, Ron. That's probably about the third slide. Is that right? Uh, So, welcome and welcome to all of you from Canada, Australia, and just up the road. Uh, Yes, God's intention uh, today is for us to be crammed in here. And if some of our church family are elsewhere, your church family will saying similar, where are they? Oh, they're all missing, but uh, it's good that you're here today. We're going to be looking at Acts, really just verses 6 and, uh, to 8, verse, chapter 1, verse uh, 6 to 8. Um, Thursday was Ascension Day. I, I come from a tradition, uh, charismatic Protestant, um, that really forgets and doesn't have these elements in our calendar, or certainly that was my... Uh, experience. Although my wife, um, my my in-laws are all wonderful Anglicans, and so there's a richness there that I enjoyed. So uh, Ascension Day and then Pentecost are very much in my mind these days. There is a, a national initiative going on just now called Thy Kingdom Come. I think it may have been Justin Welby that kicked it off, and it's for 10 days during Advent to pray for the salvation of our friends, families, colleagues, and networks because in the church, we do a lot of praying, and it's a lot of good praying. Well, a lot of asking because we need the Lord. But if I'm honest, sometimes we just forget to get on our knees and pray for the salvation. In a, in a gathering, I'm sure in our list in our homes, we, we remember our, our children and our neighbors, etc. But in gatherings, I, we don't often do it. So for these 10 days, PBC, if you have missed this calling, I've called you to pray, to join with us if you can. And tomorrow morning, it'll be 10 o'clock in my home. Then I'll put an email out so you know when the rest are going to be. And some will be in the afternoon and some will be at night time to help those people who work. To join with us together to pray for the salvation of souls. Because the, the day is long. And, and if we don't pray Those of us who know the treasure, who else is going to pray? You know? And don't be want to be about what the Lord is doing. We've all got our plans. But don't be want to be about the Lord's plans. I think the answer to that is yes. So today was a crowded, crowdiest, crowdiest? I'm making that word up. And our wee room in there, we couldn't get in to pray. There was not enough space. PBC family, you may have been missing from that. And that's okay. I really, you, you see when you call people to prayer, there's a fine line between condemnation and encouragement, and I'm trying to write that line. <laughs> there is no condemnation for those in Christ, right? If you pray in your home, great, but there's something powerful about joining with other people. Do you know what? You hear the same prayers. I've heard the same prayers from one person three times, the same three people or four people they're praying for, and I love it, and I'm hearing their heart. And it's given me a picture of that person's heart for that, that loved one who doesn't yet know Jesus. So please join with us in prayer. And for those of you who are not part of this church and who will go back into your days tomorrow and your workplace or whatever it is, your retirement home, um, Pentecost is coming. It's next Sunday where we celebrate the birth of the church, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And don't we want our family and friends to be a part of that? Yes is the answer. Pray. Pray and pray and don't give up praying. There was a little story I I, uh, told once, and today is about stories. There was a little story I told years ago when I wanted to get some experience doing preaching, so I enrolled in this course. I thought it was going to be involved, it was going to be full of older ministers that I can sit at their feet and just learn their techniques and all of that, but it turns out it was a whole bunch of novices, and there was about eight or 10 of us, and there was one main guy who was a lecturer. And we, we, we learned some techniques of preaching, but really when you preach, you just have to find your own voice. But we were learning techniques. And I decided I, w- I was just going to wait to see what everybody else did. And so there were some people that got up there, and they were always given something like 15 minutes, and to bring a passage and to preach it, and it had to be no 16 minutes, no 14 minutes, it had to be 15 minutes or something like that. And I remember one wee guy who was about two foot nothing, that he was baldy. And he was so passionate about what he prayed for, not what he preached, that his face got more red and red and red and red. And, red. and what he says was good, but they were always critiqued and there was positives and negatives put across. It got to me, this was about week six or week eight, and I was the last person. And if I remember right, I was the only one who was a pastor at the time. All the rest were lay preachers. And I got up and I told a story of how the Lord gave the song to the nightingale. And I can still remember the lecturer sitting there with a beaming smile on his face because he was thinking, I'm glad I've not had to listen to another sermon. <laughs> and, but I told a story of creation that was me making up, as it were, and, and it engaged and, and I used, I guess I used my heed, and I, I worked out really what would engage with my lecturer and get a brownie <coughs> points, and it, it, it worked. <laughs> and I passed. <laughs> but as Christians, we have this overriding message to share. We want to share it, and we want to see go in the ear and go to the heart, that incredible distance between the head and the heart, depending on how long your neck is. And we don't want it to go in one ear and out the other. But more often than not, we see that for those of you who've shared the truth of the gospel with your neighbors, your friends, your family, your networks, and you've just not seen that transformation. You know what I mean. And the question is, how do we do that? How do we share this message? How do we bring about change? And I want to just encourage you as we look at three verses briefly is to tell your story. My story is so much different from Sally Bennett's story so much different. But we share the same story, just told that bit differently. And with Matthew, I know some of his story, but I don't don't walk his story. He walks his own. But we have the same Lord who meets us where we are. So I want to encourage us not to put on white gloves, paint a face, and do all that sort of stuff. Let me tell you about Jesus. I'm not saying that but in our own way, just walking with people and articulating the important things in a way that it sounds authentic because it comes out of our mouth and out of our experience. We want it. There's lots of stories out there. We are clambering to to be heard in our world with the stories and worldviews and truths And we are just one in this huge, big marketplace. But isn't it incredible that around about two-thirds of our Holy Bible is narration, it's story? So the resurrection is the pivotal part of that story. It's the pivotal part of the message which we have heard and believe. Paul, the apostle, points this out when he speaks about the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I don't, I've not put in this, I have. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Right, I'm just putting that up there. I'll not hide anything from you. That is where I am going. Okay. And Paul says if this pivotal part of the Christian message, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, did not take place, then we who believe in that are to be pitied. I am a pitiful soul if it's a sham. That's what Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But throughout the whole Bible, the resurrection is the point in the whole of history that history was leading to and flows from. There is a lot of fake news out there. In other words, there is a lot of fake stories. How do we determine what is true and what is not? I read an article in The Spectator. Not that I'm a reader of The Spectator, I'm a, I'm a reader of The Daily Record uh, back pages. <laughs> um, ancient Greeks, it says in The Spectator magazine when I read this, Ancient Greeks. Loved the latest news as much as anyone else. And in the book of characters, the ancient academic Theophius, and this is in the third century BC, described among others the rumormonger. He was always stopping friends with made-up stories that he claimed to have heard from a reliable source. And he assured them that the story was hot. He quoted unreliable authorities. It was the talk of the town. Everybody agreed with it, and he put on convincing displays of shock and horror. Greeks would have recognized this type because news was often received via unofficial sources, making it very difficult to evaluate, i.e., fake news. Corn merchants would spread rumors of storms and shipwrecks to raise grain prices. It was a a tactic enemies used during wartime. And when a barber spread news from an escaped soldier of the disaster Athens had suffered in Sicily in the 5th century BC, he was accused of spreading unrest, and then he was tortured until the story that he told was confirmed. Greeks made various attempts to evaluate such news. First was the identity of the speaker, What credentials did the speaker have? Likewise today. Then there was a status of the speaker. Is he a reliable source? Is he an upstanding pillar of the community? First-hand accounts were clearly more credible than hearsay. Eyes are better witnesses than ears. And finally, what could possibly be the motive driving the speaker was the speaker of this story just interested in profiting from your gain? Asking the right questions is the right way for a free society," the spectator goes on to say, to deal with news. For Greeks, it was distinguished it, sorry, it distinguished their democracy from tyranny. See, the story of the resurrection is all over uh, the scriptures it's all, especially Acts, and then into some of the epistles, and here are some of the stories, I've just put that up there, and I will put out to home groups, he's, the the, the accounts that are recorded in this book, and yes, this book is a historical book, but it's a book of faith as well, okay, and, and here they are, you get Mary Magdalene, the other women, you've got various people, Uh, Peter, and a hundred people at one time, various times, Jesus is half-brother James, that's and mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 7. And at times when Jesus, when he was resurrected from the dead, he met people, he let them touch him. The wounds, or come and touch the wounds. And that's where Thomas went down at his feet and says, my Lord, my God. And he cooked for them and he ate with them. This historical book, which is probably one of the most examined books ever, and it is the top of the bestsellers list, always has been, always will be is a book of faith. So as you read these historical accounts, it is a matter of do you believe it or do you not? Is the source reliable? Is it not? The people who claim to believe and be transformed with the truth that comes from from this word, are they good people or bad people? Are they into me for something or is it genuine? But we who have believed and who pour over the scriptures, We take these as historical accounts and facts. But the greatest proof we have of Jesus' resurrection is the confidence that these disciples had in it being true. You see these men of God in particular being bold to the point of becoming martyrs. Whereas only weeks earlier, we know the story, and I'm just reminding us to remind us, we know the stories of how they denied Jesus, they ran away from Jesus, some of them half naked, And yet, in a period of 40 days, or yeah, 40 days and then waiting that 10 days between Ascension and Pentecost, in that period, they were transformed to such an extent that what they believed and shared did and continues to change the world. They turned the world upside down, and now we are part of that story, and it's as if me as an older pastor passing to Matthew who's slightly younger than me and saying, now it's your shot. And as I says to my discipleship guys, two weeks ago as we were meeting up at uh, Moulin uh, Moors, you guys should be running the church. Where is the calling for you and the character and the gifts for you to run the church? Let's not leave it to those who are retired. The story passes on to us. Irrespective of what age or what background, because we all share in the one Lord. And so you see this proof of the resurrection of Jesus, most notably in the lives of the transformed disciples. That's part of the story, the historical part that we uh, believe in. Now we're going to turn to the text. There we go. Let's read verse 6. And so, when they met together, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? The question that they ask highlights where they're at. They've been hanging out with Jesus for 40 days. He's obviously been teaching them all the more in the Spirit, although they have to wait for the coming of the Spirit. And in that 40 days, they are being transformed from people who ran away from Jesus, who are well up for what Jesus is all about. And the question, it seems, that's flooding their mind as they think of their friends, their family, their neighbors, their networks, their colleagues, who they love, Israel. Their ethnic identity was Israel. And they know how Israel has abandoned and rejected Israel And actually, as Peter preached, they hung Jesus with the help of evil men on the cross. Now they are saying to themselves, Jesus, are you now going to settle scores? Are you going to show Israel that you are the Messiah? And by showing them that you are the Messiah, come in all your power and all your victory and get, um, get even with those who did wrong to you. Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of heaven? Because a great injustice happened when they hung you on the cross. But we know that you are the Messiah because you have risen from the dead. We have seen it and and touched you. We've seen it with our own eyes. Now, Lord, are you going to take your revenge? Are you going to establish your kingdom here as the great high Messiah warrior king? That's where they're at. Are you going to judge those who need to be judged? Are you going to demonstrate to Israel who rejected you that you were right all along and you're going to establish a kingdom? There's a warning in that to us of being judgmental. That doesn't mean you just brush everything under the carpet but there is a way, there is a method, there's a process of conviction. And judgment has often been a thing which the church has used to show people that they are wrong and the church is right. The disciples wanted, as we know from the Gospels, when a a village rejected Jesus and they said something like, Lord, shall we call down the fire of heaven and consume this? this village because they've rejected you. We know that is in the heart of the disciples. And we saw how one of, was it this, was it Peter, I think, who cut the ear off the servant of the high priest. You know, we know what is in his heart. And more historically, when the church in the 80s, part of our story was that we, many of us turned to those who were dying of AIDS and said it is judgment from God. How do we respond to that now when it looks like a cure has been given for AIDS, that it is a blessing from God? Judgment is very near the surface of our hearts. And the small and the large things, individually and corporately, learn from the disciples and now learn from Jesus' response. He says in verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, Jesus basically says, it's none of your business. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Although we are his friends, we are his servants. And in that metaphor, when when does a servant get the right to ask its master the plans that that master has for today and tomorrow and the next day, none whatsoever. And Jesus basically says, it's not up to you to know these things. But then he does go on in verse eight to say, this is what you do need to know if you are to be my disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we had the question, when are you going to show people who you are? When are you going to come and take your rightful place in the nations? There was a political heart to that. And Jesus answers it in two parts. First part, it's got absolutely none of your business to know the time of what the Father has planned. But second, here is the job that is your job. Go and tell people the story The experiences that you have, don't do it on your own. And if we know the church, the church is great at making plans. We are great at making plans. And then asking the Lord to come and bless our plans. But the Lord says, wait. The Spirit of the living God will come upon you. And power. There will be a transformation. And then you will be sent out knowing the Father's plans. And the book of Acts just tells that story of of the resurrection of the spirit of the church. So that's how Jesus says, you will know what your job is locally in Kirkmichael, Michael. You will know what your job is regionally in Persia or, or wherever it is in the kingdom of Fife. And you will know because I will send you out and I will never leave you nor forsake you. And this is a story for all the world. And this is the heart of the story. The disciples wanted to um, settle accounts quickly, even if it meant collateral damage. But Jesus wasn't interested in having a hissy fit in the temple and showing everybody who he was. Jesus instead takes a much longer view. And he is prepared to see this thing through long-term. Why? Well, he wants to do it with forbearance. He wants to show his grace and his mercy. If Jesus was to get rid of the problem quickly, it means getting rid of us quickly. I hope you heard that there. We are part of the problem. Ruth's word I think is a powerful word for our church family, of keeping communication open, and humility, and forbearance, and long-suffering, and preferring others over yourselves, and when you forget to do it, and you will, to go back to what the Lord has called you to, and copy His story of forbearance, and patience, and grace, because Jesus takes this long-term view with all of creation so that the Father's house will be full. And includes all of us. The invite is there. But the fact is, this story is completely different from the majority of stories we hear in the world. Here is roughly how a, a, a normal Hollywood film goes. There is a goodie. He gets beat up with the baddies. There's a huge injustice. It's that wee point in the film that dips down, and you know that it's going to come up again. And it does. Somehow he regains his position, his strength, whether it's a Marvel movie or it's a chick flick or whatever it is. And what does he go and do? Well, he goes and faces up to the muscle and he deals with the muscle, the big brutes before he gets to the real body. That's me just summed up a James Bond movie for the last six or seven or eight or nine. And they all live happily ever after. Here's Jesus' story. After the majority of that happens, he, the resurrection happens. And he's ascended to the Father, given the place of authority. And his enemies are a footstool underneath his feet until the Father says, it is time. And in this period of the acts, in this period of of the spirit of the church, Jesus is going looking for those who have done him wrong to show them grace and mercy and a future. That's the story that we are a part of. I know for a fact it's my story. And he comes to me every day. In fact, he never comes to me And we don't need to ask the Lord to come into our presence. We have a choice to come into His presence. That's the truth. And every day we have got a choice of entering into that story of forbearance, of patience, of love, of restitution. And all of these wonderful, wonderful descriptives. And this is the heart of the story. And I'm going to finish off with this. So if the disciples were to write the story, it would have been a short story. However, Jesus is writing the story and the whole world will not be able to contain that story. That's me paraphrasing John 21. I need to stop and just mention something that happened on Saturday when we meant to pray. We met to pray, sorry. Someone prayed this. Lord, show us how to be your witnesses. And that phrase stuck with me because I was thinking of this story and how we are witnessing to the story for today. And I thought about this. Maybe the prayer could have been, not should have been, but could have been, lead us and empower us to be your witnesses, just as Jesus said there. But wait for the Holy Spirit. You will receive the Holy Spirit when he comes in you and you will be my witnesses. Maybe our prayer every day should be, Lord, would you empower me to be your witness? I am willing. I am up for the task to share that. Help me to do that. Because the truth is, we know the story, right? We, we know, the, you know, all of the, for instance, here's some scripture. I'll, I'll mention some of them. Here's the story from Mark 10. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his ransom for many, Romans 5, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Two Corinthians, worth reading. For our our sake, he made him to be sin, Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. That's part of my story and our story. In 1 Timothy, the saying is truth. trustworthy, and deserving of full acceptance, that Jesus Christ came that the world into, into the world to save sinners, to whom I am the foremost. We know this story. We know the gospel. For those of us who've got grayer hair than me and who've been in churches most of their life, you've heard it and you know it. You don't need anyone else to show you or to explain it to you. And we actually know how to witness. Jesus says, if you hold on to my teaching, you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So abide in him. Do as he commands. Love one another. Follow Jesus. Take up your cross daily and you will hear his voice and know what to do. So I believe the vast majority of people in here have accepted the story. You know the story. And actually, you do know how to be witnesses. The important thing is being empowered to tell your story. I sat getting my hair cut on Friday and spoke to my hairdresser, who said, "I've heard about your church. Listen to this. I thought this was funny. Your church is rock and roll." <laughs> Now, I, I tried to say, Well, have you been to a Hillsong church before? You, you know, we're just this wee, quaint, quirky, you know. But he would say, Well, I've heard stories about your church. My hairdresser has got a husband. He's gay. He's got a husband. And he's been at Lockery I don't know how long three months. But he's heard stories about God's people. Not from my mouth, but from people who don't come to this church. Here's another story he says. I heard it from someone that if they were ever to go to a church, they would go to your church. Do you know why? And this is to encourage us all. Because we're out there witnessing. We're living our lives, Nev. You know how it is to be led as a witness. We're living our lives, Gene. And in that living our lives, abiding in Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, people are noticing something. They may not say it, but they're noticing, and it's up to us to remain in him. Continue to tell the story, sometimes in work. I didn't go on to share the gospel with my hairdresser. No, I didn't. But what I did do was I answered his questions. I spoke some more. I laughed at the quote about being a rock and roll church. And, uh, and I left it until the next time. Because the Lord is into it for the long haul. But the days are drawn. What the phrase is. The day is coming when the Father will say enough. So pray. Join us in prayer. Pray yourselves wherever you are. Pray. And even when your prayers you're fed up with the sound of your prayers, wait in the Lord, ask for more prayers by the power of the Spirit and pray. And may the Lord's will be done, and may his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Next week, my pastor, Edwin Gunn, is going to come and uh, lead us through uh, Pentecost. And so I invite you to join us then. Shall we pray together? So thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. Create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and renew a right spirit within me. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, Father. That how we journey in our story from this moment onwards would bring great joy to you that we would enjoy ourselves being lavished with your love. And I pray that you would increase the stories that we have to tell, stories of transformation, stories of hope, stories of families being united and complete in your kingdom. And may Jesus always be high and lifted up in our communities of faith,